What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Celtics Collective Podcast. I'm Maddie Kroll, and I'm joined with Adam Taylor and Sean Devney. What's up, guys? I'm living life. Hey, how are you? Hi, guys. Living Sean, life. Nice. What does living life mean, Adam? It means I wake up, I smile, I spend my day smiling, and I get to talk to people about basketball all day. Then I go to bed and read about basketball and smile some more. <laughs> I don't know about you, yes. but I find it hard me, to believe that Adam wakes up and smiles. No, he's always he's always like that. I wake up grumpy, and I have to I have to you know message Adam uh, very early in the morning for me, and not so early morning for him, and that's how I wind up feeling better. So I'm a crazy morning person. Like I'm once I'm awake, like I'm up. And, well, I'm not once I'm up. I'm like I'm in a great mood just to start the day, and as long as nothing happens within that like first 45 minutes to like put a dampener on that mood i stay happy all day i am not i'm not happy until i have food i have to wake (laughs) up eat i need nobody to talk to me for like the first at least 30 minutes i'm awake for me to be a good person and then once i eat a little bit i can chill see i can't eat for like hours after i wake up so like today i woke up at 6 a.m i didn't start eating until around about noon um, that's an absolutely not for me. I would have no friends. <laughs> See, I have no friends. I'm good. Yeah, there it is. There it is. We finally got to the bottom of it. Yeah, I don't need them. They don't talk about basketball here, so they're not friends. Well, we'll go ahead and feed the people what they're here for, the basketball information. Today, we are talking about the latest 2K, Eurobasket, and then we're going to play a fun game called Be Brad Stevens. I've always wanted to be Brad Stevens. All right. I was really expecting Adam to just like be crazy excited about this. Oh, I am, but I'm holding it in because I don't want to give it away my excitement too much. You don't want to scare anyone, right? Yeah. I'm very excited. <laughs> um, a lot of MP- a lot of NBA players are not excited about the 2K23 ratings that came out. Um We'll kind of dive into everything, but Giannis was a 97. He tops the league. Gilbert Arenas um, had a problem with that, or we expect to have a problem with that. (laughs) Kevin Durant has a 96. He's tied for second. And as always, he's never happy. He called it laughable. And Clay Thompson was not happy, which I'm kind of on Clay Thompson's side on that. I have to ask, why do you guys think the players care about this so much? I know from an NFL standpoint, a lot of those rating type things can go into their contract negotiations for the next year. Is it the same thing for the NBA or do they just want to gripe about something? No, and 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 woe be to the team that 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 factors in their uh, NBA 2K3 ratings into uh, into contract negotiating uh you know that's 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 not something that happens with these guys but you know it is a game that they all play and it's a game that they all grew up playing uh and so i think that it's something that that does resonate with these guys i always sit back and say you know if i'm kevin durant and Giannis is a 97 and i'm a 96 am i that upset he was, <laughs> you know, and so it's, it's always, it's always amazing to me how much these guys do care about this thing. Uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, you know, it is something, like I say, that, that, that they all grew up playing, that they all very are, are very much cognizant of that uh, as much as you might see yourself in the NBA finals and the NBA playoffs and the all-star game, whatever, when you see yourself on NBA 2K3, uh, like that's when you know that, okay, I've arrived. Uh, as a, as an NBA player, so uh, you know that's that's that 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 goes a lot into this uh, as much as as much as anything else. It's not something that really matters, uh, but to them it matters just because it's sort of a uh, a childhood thing, and then and then they get to uh, tweet about it uh, uh, when the things finally come out. And I mean, for me, it's like you spend your entire life working your butt off to get to this point to be featured in a game. And then the last thing you want is for your character to suck, right? So if I'm like Jalen Brown, who got an 87, he doesn't suck, but by no means are you choosing to choose him for like a pro-am game where you're choosing pro players. You're going to be like, man, I want Giannis, I want Tatum, I want Durant. Jalen Brown sitting there feeling some type of way, like I was the most dominant player on the Celtics in the NBA Finals, yet I'm barely scratching the top 15 in the game. 
So it's little things like that that would start to kind of eat away at me personally. Like, hey, put, and I think a lot of it does come down to having a bit of respect on people's names. Everybody believes they're a little bit better about at something than what they really are. Just look at me. But in general, I think that a lot of it is just bragging rights between each other. You know, like, oh, dude, you're in the locker room. You're not man. I'm the second best player on 2K. And you know, all of a sudden, they redo the, the the ratings in a month and you might be the third best player in the locker room. And that's the other side of things, right? Like the marketing ploy from 2K is exceptional. You rank everybody a little bit lower, so you have scope to improve their ratings throughout the season. You don't want to give everyone their top rating now because when you do the updates, there's nothing really changing except for glitches. So you rank, you slowly increase their ratings over the season. And it also, this discourse that you get from the players that are feeling that type of way, when they're tweeting out about it, that's free press. It, it's free promotion. Mm. So it, it's the marketing ploy from 2K is genius, and I understand it. But if I'm like Kevin Durant mm-hmm. and I'm 96, I'm like, dude, what more do you want, man? Really? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you're old it, now. That's right. <laughs> Kevin Durant just wants to gripe. Let's be honest. I should clarify yeah, I, well, though, well, like well, on I, I, think, I think one thing to make a point about about the video games in general is that you know when we think about like when I was growing up, you know, NFL films was the thing. Like you know, you would watch these old NFL films about the Ice Bowl, about uh, uh, you know Super Bowl three, and and you know you go right on through and you'd watch all these NFL films, and 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 that's kind of what two K that, that's what video games are now, and especially two mm-hmm. K for. Uh, for, for NBA players is that it's like the NFL. It's, you know, we don't really get our media so much through uh, the traditional means that, that you get your media as much through video games as through movies. And, and so all these old movies that, that used to, you know, tell these great, you know, stories, the history of the game, that's all coming now through, uh, through things like, uh, uh, like these video games. So it's, it is, it does have some importance in terms of that. And let's be honest, last season towards the end in the my play in the my team, you know, where you collect the cards and you get the you have the different versions of the players. So you'll have Ruby, mm-hmm. Sapphire, Pink Diamond, um, Amphius, whatever. Last season they gave they released a 99 overall version of Taco 4. Now, if we're going to be doing that, then I'm not <laughs> taking anything seriously. Like the whole thing, like we're talking computer generated Taco 4 at the same level as Michael Jordan. Are you crazy? even if that was the best player on the game i'm not going out my way to acquire that card because that is just ludicrous you have to draw the line somewhere yeah and that's it i I should clarify whenever i was talking about these scores earlier i was drawing them back to the nfl using the pff stats that the madden game uses to give those scores so it's a little bit different but still the same adam you mentioned jalen brown um he was upset with his 87. He said he tweeted out, "Stop playing with me." What do you guys think about that? Do you think 87 is that bad for Jalen Brown? Learn to or do you think the, it's fair? Learn to dribble the basketball at speed, and you might get closer to a 90. <laughs> like, because everything else he does great. He's a great catch. Like I've always called him a play finisher, and I don't know if you agree with me here, Sean. And the way I define that is, you finish plays. You're not the wing creator that Jason Tatum is because you don't have the handle that Jason Tatum does. In a half-court setting, Brown can be prone to over-dribbling. In the full-court setting, he handles a little bit loose. It's easy to poke away. So what you put, what you do with Jalen Brown is you ask him to attack off the catch by catching and ripping through to attack the basket or catching and shooting. And that is where I get that play finisher from. You're asking him specifically to finish the play. And he's exceptional there. But there's a limit on how impactful you can be overall as that guy, right? Like he's a great defender, great wing stopper, excellent at switching, can finish plays for you, but you don't really want him handling the ruck too much. And that takes away a little bit from what he can give the Celtics because that's what that's the difference at the moment between him and Tatum is you can give the Tatum the ball, ask him to initiate the offense, ask him to run pick and rolls. And when you saw Brown do that while Tatum was injured last season, it was just it without swearing, it was really, really bad. And it started to get better over time, and it will continue to improve. But it's worth remembering that Brown's entering his seventh year in the league. At some point, the version we're seeing is the version we've got. Yeah, and that's 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 a fair point. And and you know, he is. If you asked everybody to rate 
Jalen Brown and where he is in the NBA, where he is in the NBA pecking order, uh, you would get, you know, varied, you know, widely varied opinions. You'd say, well, he's a top 50 player for sure. Uh, and then other people would say, you know, he's probably right around 20. Uh, and, and, you know, you could make a case for a lot. Of, I was looking at the NBA.com ratings of players coming into this year. Um, and, and right now uh, they've got uh, uh, Jalen Brown at 42, which is to me is crazy. Uh, he's not 42. I mean, he's, he's no. that's below Shea Gildas Alexander, who I like as a player, but I'll take Jalen Brown every day. Um, you know, and, and, but if you look at the NBA 2K ratings, you know, he's 28th, which to me is a little, I'm a little more comfortable with that. Um, you know, he's right on par with, with uh, Bradley Beal and, and Bam Adebayo. Uh, and, and I'm okay with that. I'd, I'd probably take at this point, uh, you know, with injuries, uh, I, I'd probably take Jalen Brown over Bradley Beal, uh, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that's probably a more comfortable, but if you ask, you know, 10 scouts, 10 coaches, 10, whatever, uh, you're going to get 10, you know, wildly different uh, opinions of Jalen Brown. And I think that goes to what you're saying, Adam, and in, in that, you know, he's, he's, there, there's certain improvements that he just hasn't made at this point. Uh, you know, he's improved some of the things he's already good at. He probably has to improve some of the things he's not so good at. Yeah. And he came into the league as a raw explosive wing prospect. Like the development he's made from coming in from Cal all the way through till now is he's a, he's a completely different player and being an elite play finisher isn't an insult. There's very few people in the league that can be that type of play finisher, somebody you can rely on and put the ball in their hands and be like, yo, we're going to swing this rock to you after we come off the screen. You're going to rip through, you're going to attack and we're going to trust you because you've got the mid range shot. You've got the catch and shoot corner free. We're very comfortable with you scoring off the dribble. We're very comfortable with you pulling up off the dribble. The only thing we're not comfortable with is if now the defense slows you down and you've got to look to initiate something. That's where we start to be like that development just hasn't come yet. And we're not sure how many more years of development you've got until we're like, right, this is who Jalen Brown is as a player. Because eventually that's going to be something we need to accept. If that's year seven or year eight, then fine. But by the time he's in year nine, if he's still not that wing creator, then that's it's not going to happen. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not a knock on him at all. Yeah, I think, Sean, you made a good point that um, people kind of – the people who are reviewing these statistics and coming up with these numbers, they all prioritize different skills or different talents um, in a different way than we all do, right? That's just the beauty of being human. Um, Jason Tatum was a 93. He was eighth overall in the game, which is tied with Jamora and Jimmy Butler. I think that he's better than both of those guys. What do you guys think? Who was he tied with? Jimmy Butler and who? And Ja. Jamor. Ja. And Ja. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he's better than Jar at the moment, definitely. Uh, I think that I'd put him J- better as Jimmy Butler too, wouldn't you? Yeah, I was going to get to. Yeah, he's definitely Jimmy's just not Jimmy anymore. Uh, if we're being honest, he's not that same guy. And even then, I'd still be questioning it. Tatum is a complete package at this point. He's the best scorer on the floor in almost every game he plays. Period. He's one of the better wing defenders in the league. His rebounding has improved tremendously. His off-ball work has impl- improved. And now you can put the ball in his hand and bust him around what I'd say 60% of their offensive possessions through Tatum with the, as the initiator when he was on the floor. There's not many guys in the league where you're going to be like, he's definitively better than Jason Tatum. And Jar and Jimmy Butler, in my opinion, are a tier below. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and uh, you know, I mean, uh, the, the 96 rating uh, right now is... Uh, uh, is crowded. It's LeBron James. Um, it's, uh, uh, you know, you start with, uh, it's, it's obviously Kevin Durant, who we mentioned. Uh, you start with uh, Giannis at, at 97, and then you've got that sort of that second level uh, of players. Uh, then they've got Luka at 95, and Kawhi Leonard at 94, and then Jason Tatum at 93. To me, I, again, you know, considering injuries, I'd put, I'd put Jason Tatum on par with Kawhi Leonard. I don't think Kawhi Leonard is the same defender that he was, uh, you know, at his peak um, as he's gotten better offensively, his defense has become, you know, very good, obviously, but not elite level necessarily uh, the way it was. Uh, and I, I'd, I'd probably put Jason Tatum right now uh, on par with Luka Doncic, you know, and, and I think Luka Doncic, I think, 
you know, what we see from him with the Mavericks and what he does for them uh, and, and, and with the team that doesn't have any other real stars. And even with Jalen Brunson didn't, you know, Jalen Brunson wasn't really a star player. Uh, you know, Luka Doncic is able to dominate, able to dominate the ball, able to dominate the rebounding, able to dominate the assists. You know, he dominates so much statistically that I think he gets a little bit higher. You know, he's viewed higher than, than what he actually deserves to be. I would probably take Jason Tatum right now. If, you know, maybe, maybe in five years, I'd rather have Luka Doncic, but right now uh, I'd, I'd, I'd take J- Jason Tatum. So Tatum at a 93 and Luke at a 95, I'd probably be, be comfortable with having Tatum uh, up at a 95 there. So the only thing I'd switch, like if I could take one aspect of Luca's game and do a Dr. Frankenstein and take it and pull it into Tatum would be Luca's mentality. I think Luca is programmed more as a winning guy than what mm-hmm. Tatum is. I think Tatum's a winning guy within a team structure and that's perfect for a team-based game, right? But when you're the man, when you're, as the kids are saying now, when you're him, and I feel old by saying as the kids are saying now, <laughs> You want Luca's mentality of, right, I'm going to take this game by the scruff of the neck and I'm not going to let us lose. Now, if, if Tatum had that mentality, and there's a chance that he will in the coming season after falling short in the finals, we'll, we'll have to mm-hmm. wait and see. But if he, if he had Luca's mentality, he'd be top two, top three guys in the league right now. Like It'd be I, unquestionable. I think a lot of that just comes with maturity too, though, right? I mean, he's still young in the race, game, though. but he's still young in the game. Is yeah. Luca had to grow up a lot faster. Yeah, yeah. Luca and, was doing this when he was 15, 16 years mm-hmm. old, unbelievably. But yeah, he was. His cooking falls in Spain. Yeah, everybody. Do you know how upset I am? I didn't fly over to Madrid to watch him play while tickets were cheap. <laughs> and that's like, yeah, so me regrets. Fork. Yeah, it's like I should go and see when. What is it? Wembenyama over in France? Because yeah, be you might regret that. Yeah. yeah, I should do. I might do. Well, let's talk about Grant Williams, our last one. Um, He was a 77. He tweeted out, stay disrespecting me. Um, What do you guys think about this? He was below Gallinari and Derek White, who were at 78. Do you want to take this one, Sean? Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I I, I looked at it in in terms of his draft class, where he was tied with Matisse Theibel uh, of of Philadelphia. He's obviously a very good defensive player, but, you know, can't hit the side of a barn. Uh, uh, with the ball, so you know, I'd I'd I'd, I'd much rather have Grant Williams than Matisse Thybul, uh, and Daniel Gafford, you know, who is, uh, you know, just another Washington center who puts up some numbers because he's getting some playing time, and somebody's got to grab the rebounds and and put in the putbacks. So, uh, you know, Daniel Gafford's a, a fine player. Don't get me wrong, but you know, to put him in the same category, to put him at the same level as Grant Williams. Uh, and and what we saw Grant Williams do on big stages throughout the course of the year, um, and, and and how he got better, uh, you know, over really from last year to this year, and then during the year. I mean, he 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 just he made great great strides. Uh, there's no question about that. Um, you know, for a guy to be able to be the kind of three and D player that that Grant Williams is, uh, for him to be that low, I I of all the people who say they were disrespected. I think I might take Grant Williams as as the most uh, in terms of uh, uh, these ratings. Yeah, if I'm Grant Williams, I'm very, very upset. Like I, I, I'm cease and desist orders are being issued tomorrow. <laughs> like, See you in small claims court. Yeah, like I'm expecting this to be changed instantly. Look, look, if you look, one of the, you came into the season, he showed an improved three point shot. He'd lost some weight, so he's far more mobile around the perimeter, which was the mm-hmm. issue that kind of cost him as in a, as a sophomore because he was being played at the four more, but couldn't really stay in front of guys or keep up with them. He addressed his two biggest needs. He came into the season, started well, and then continued to improve. And when Romeo Langford was traded in February, Grant Williams kind of adjusted and started driving out of the corners the same way Romeo was having success. And that was kind of like, right, I know that I now hold gravity as a corner three-point shooter, so I'm going to wait for the defense to close out on me. Now I'm going to put the ball on the floor, drive into the post because I'm a solid post player myself and I can pass a little bit out of there. And he started to add a whole new dimension to his game. Now, obviously, once the playoffs comes, it's not time to start working on your game. Stick to what you're good at. But over the offseason and starting next year, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Grant attacking those closeouts more. 
And when you look at Gallinari, who's above him, who was awful defensively last year across the board, especially at the five, is nothing more than really a catch-and-shoot guy at this point in his career. To be ranked higher than Grant Williams is absolutely atrocious. Like, somebody somewhere needs to have to answer to someone, and I'd like that interview <laughs> recorded and put on the internet. <laughs> Derek White, I can, I can see a little bit, but again... Derek White is very good defensively, and he's, as I said, he's great off ball. But he, as Sean noted in the last episode, his offense is lacking. Uh, overall, yeah, I feel sorry for Grant Williams, and I'm ready to go to bat for him over this. Yeah, game. yeah, no, it makes you wonder, like how they how they calculate defense into all this, like you know, and and it's one of the toughest things to do uh, for I think fans and media people to to like put a number on how good a, a player is defensively. Uh, but certainly this this does not seem to do it and uh and if i can just say guys uh as as full disclosure i'm actually in nba 2k3 so if you play it you might see me pop up on twitter really media personalities that humble brag yeah i have a friend who who like will text me randomly because he plays nba 2k uh, 2k uh, all the time and he'll text me and he'll say you know why are you so mean on twitter i was like what are you talking about i haven't tweeted in a week and then he'll <laughs> say like no on 2k3 you're you're always you're always saying negative things on uh on your tweet like, oh well, geez i'm sorry i don't know <laughs> so you're the hater <laughs> i'm the hater yeah 2K they, hater. They, okay. they, they send me like a contract every year that i have to sign and again full disclosure they don't pay me a dime they just make me sign a piece <laughs> of paper and then i guess i pop up and <laughs> Send them an email, say, I'll do it, and you can put whatever you want coming out. There you go. Just for a day. Yeah, for Celtics, they should have you on there. I just want a a screenshot, and then I'm done. Like You can literally a 30-second appearance, and I'm fine. That's awesome. (laughs) What a a humble brag. That I mean, it's amazing. That was a humble brag. Yeah, sorry about that. But I'll I'll, I'll pass that along. Don't be uh, sorry. I'll I'll pass your your information along, Adam. Tell Tell them I love them. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him I love them. Apparently, yeah. you love Grant Williams too. You're now getting him tatted on your body. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, I told you. Oh, no, no, no. We need to really stipulate the rules here. First of all, I need to see the Ninja Turtle design and make sure it's aesthetically pleasing and it wasn't drawn by an eight year old that's, you know, <laughs> been told they were good and were given an extra sketch and told this will be a tattoo. But if it's aesthetically pleasing. So I cannot pleasing, draw it. Got it. Yeah. No, you may not. <laughs> um, but if it's aesthetic, aesthetically pleasing, if the, if it works, if the Grant Williams likeness is there with the Ninja Turtle likeness, yeah, I'm getting it done. <laughs> no, no lie. And I'll, if you want, we can even film the tattoo being done and post it as content. I'm fine with that. Maybe um, 2K will add in like a crazy fan portion and you could be the star of that. And then your tattoo <laughs> no, will be like I've always been against going on anything that labels me as a fan. Okay. Because that's just got that, Sean. Putting you in a complete. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Don't pigeonhole our man. Yeah, it just puts you in a different lane that I don't want to be a part of. There's people that are happy being in that lane, but I am not Clipper Darrell, and I don't intend to be because I think he's great at being a super fan, but I am not that energetic. Yeah, no, you're also a little bit more negative. I don't, I don't know that you could. I'm not. Well. I'm honest. Awful defensive there. I'm honest. You're not as big of a negative Ned as Sean is, apparently. Well, this I'll is true. Per his That's what my friends tell me. Virtual you hasn't had his coffee yet. That's all it is, buddy. Well, let's get into our next segment. That's my yam, which Sean named, and I think it's amazing. That's I, I that's it. such a dad way to name a topic, too. I'm 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 a dad of a five year old, and I've been perfecting my my dad joke game. So that's my yam. Uh, is uh, is something that, uh, that that I thought was brilliant when I when I thought of it. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. We love a good pun. Um, Israel was eliminated in Eurobasket last week, but Yam Adar, that's my Yam. Maybe we should get shirts that say that. Um, <laughs> Merch was one of the better players in the tournament. We know that the Celtics have a bit of a logjam going on right now at point guard. JD Davidson's in the G League. Um, Madara turns 22 in December. Is there a place for him or a future with him? Will he ever fit into the Celtics plans? Yeah. You know, I, it's hard to see where, you know, because I think the Celtics, one thing that they've done with their point guard crew, uh, is, is to bring together three guys who are all in about the same age range 
who are just a little bit older than Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, but, but but are still in sort of that same bracket where you've got Marcus Smart at 28, Brogdon at 29, uh, Derek White at 28. And I think they see that as as a core that they can uh, kind of have going forward uh, and, and you know, probably not have to overpay any of those guys, even, even Marcus, as good as he's been, um, you, you know, that, that – they can they can probably you know afford to keep all three of those guys and have that as sort of their primary guard rotation going forward. Um, and and with that being the case, then you're really talking about okay, who's going to be the fourth? Who's going to be the fifth? Uh, Pritchard right now at 24. You know we're talking about whether he's going to get minutes. You know what what, what and, and he's a guy who's proven himself uh, particularly as a shooter. So um, you know it's it, it's hard to see now. Now you're talking about. Uh, Jan Madara as, as the fifth point guard. Uh, and again, you know, for a guy who's 22 and, and really wants to test himself in the NBA, he's been eager to do it. He's come to summer league. Uh, you know, he's, he, he's really been a guy who wants to play in the NBA. Uh, you know, I think that, that, that he's probably going to get impatient. Um, now this could go to some of the things that they have with the, with the traded player exception. Uh, you know, you could trade his rights as part of a deal and that could be something I think that that going forward uh, that the Celtics would have to look at because uh, you know he's played very very well in Europe. He's he's really made his mark. He's probably done all he needs to do there to show he can play in the NBA. Uh, but uh, uh, but I just I don't see any room for him with the Celtics at this point. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that over the off throughout last season he was playing under Obradovich. I think that's how you pronounce the name. Who's arguably the greatest European coach ever, or at least one of the greatest European coaches. So he's had great tutelage. He's moved from Israel over to Serbia so he can play against a higher level of competition and play in a higher level of EuroLeague. Now he's showing it on an international stage at FIBA tournament. But I agree. I just At this moment in time, I don't see a path forward for Madar with Boston. If you ask me who's the better guard out of Madar and out of Pritchard, granted I haven't seen as much of Madar as what I have of Pritchard, but I do feel like Pritchard is more NBA ready right now. But he's going into his third year in the NBA, so he's meant to be more NBA ready. Mm-hmm. So moving Madar to a team like, I don't know, someone who's like Utah, that's tearing everything down where there's going to be opportunities or moving into Sacramento, who will most likely be tearing things down again in a year is <laughs> always, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is always going to be a good option, not just for you, but by doing right for the player as well. Cause other European players will take notice of that and be like, right. They recognized there was no path forward for him. And they tried to move him to a situation that not only worked for the team, obviously with whatever's coming back, but also put him in a better situation to have a direct path to some NBA minutes and you know they've already got uh, Juan, Juan Beggarin who's a bigger guy that's probably a better prospect and I know he's more of a wing than a guard but you can see Beggarin making that NBA leap with Boston far quicker than Madar so I'd be if I was Madar I'd be like hey can you either renounce my rights so I can go and find somewhere to go myself or if a trade pops up can you just kind of add those rights in uh, I agree with Sean. I think mm-hmm. he's spot on. Is there a spot you think he could play well in? Either of you? A place? Yeah, I mean, he would just he would need minutes, you know. I mean, you know, a, a lot of this comes down to uh, can can you find the right role? I mean, a lot. there's been a lot of great European point guards who when they come to the U.S., just don't play well in the NBA. They just aren't, you know, Marco Yarich is one that, that, that I always thought was going to be a really good uh, NBA point guard. And he flamed out with the Clippers and the Grizzlies and a couple of teams. Um, and, and Teodosic, who's one of the great uh, European point guards as well, went to the Clippers and, and just never really found the the right spot. Uh, but then you get guys like, you know, Pablo Prigioni or, uh, or uh, Campanazzo from, uh, from from Denver, uh, you, you know, who who do find the right spot and and are able to thrive. Uh, so he just needs to find you know the right kind of spot, that backup kind of role uh, that that you know the team that needs twenty minutes, you know, maybe fifteen to twenty minutes uh, without you uh, turning over the ball a lot and you're being able to hit some threes. That's that's one of the things about Madara that he's done is been able to hit threes. Uh, so you know if he can find a place. That that sort of values that and, and and where he can fit in with that, then he that, then he could have a role in the NBA. But it's 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 tough to find, and, and we've seen a lot of very very good point guards uh, come over from Europe and and just not be able to find that role. 
Yeah, the adaption from Euro basketball to NBA basketball is drastic because it's such a different type of game. You know, Euro League is a little bit slower, more half court based, a lot of more. Uh, every league's pick and roll heavy, but it's just you know they're float. It's a lot more X's and O's based in terms yeah, of coaches are physical, calling. Or physical yeah. Too, yeah. Coaches are calling sets far more often. Um, very physical. You know, there's a lot, a lot of subtle differences. So when some of these Euro guys come over. Not all of them can adapt because they're ingrained in playing in that Euro League style of way. It's what they've been taught since they could walk. The same way as NBA guys, not all of them that go to Europe find success. Some of them struggle because they have that they have that reverse adaption. And again, they've been trained to play NBA type basketball from as soon as they could walk. So um, yeah, I can see Madar coming over. Whether he's successful or not, we'll have multiple mitigating factors, and a lot of them will be out of his control. But uh, a team like Oklahoma makes sense to me. And they've got a big European presence throughout the roster as it is. They're young. They're rebuilding. There's already question marks over whether Shai is going to be there long term because he's outgrowing the funder and everyone's expecting him to be ready to contend before the funder are. So coming in as a backup guard to Oklahoma or like playing backup to like Josh Giddy, who I love. He's one of my favorite young guys in the league. Um that type of role there, or going to somewhere like San Antonio, where there is a little bit like their system is they pick things up from the Euro League, they take the best ideas from around Europe and implement them into an NBA style. I think that could be another good fit for him. Perfect. Well, let's keep talking about Eurobasket then. Um, Dennis Schroeder was the number 10 scorer in the tournament. Adam's eyes popped up. He's a former Celtics because he was on the team for about four months before he was traded to Houston and hasn't found a job since. Did the Celtics ruin him? <laughs> he ruined himself. Oh, man. <laughs> like, so the thing is, right, and I want to say this, there's a difference between putting up numbers and being a good scorer. There's a difference between getting assists and being a good playmaker. There's a difference between doing all of it and actually being good at basketball. So what I'm saying is, like, Dennis Schroeder is a solid player. You, he can go and get you 15 and 5, 16 and 7 a night, but he's doing it in a way that's detrimental to the team. If you go back and watch, like, really watch his film, he never rewards a rolling big man. He'll run a pick and roll. The only time he's passing off to the big man is if the defense shuts down the drive. Most of his assists are falls gold. They come at dump puffs when defense is kind of overload around the rim, and he's got no choice but to get the ball out of his hands. And because a couple of guys have come at him because he does command that type of attention around the room there's an open guy he's not setting people up he's bailing himself out and that was always my biggest problem with Schroeder was it was a very individual centric style of play that got misconstrued as team orientated basketball and I think teams are starting to wise up to that and then you know he goes over to Houston that doesn't really do much there Boston he was he won them a few games let's not know let's, let's not lie but Overall, they were worse when he was on the floor, and teams notice things like this. And then you have like the the questionable personality, and you know the everything that went on in Los Angeles. I don't think that the Celtics ruined him at all. They gave him an opportunity. He didn't succeed in that opportunity as accepting a role as a team based six man. And now he's struggling to find a place. I'm not a big Dennis Schroeder fan. I think he's a solid basketball player, but I think he gets in his own way. Mm. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, I, I've been watching him in the in in, in Eurobasket, and you do see a guy who is leading a team against other very good teams, and is leading them to wins, and uh, is 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 obviously making winning plays. Um, and and so I, I I do think that one thing that happens, and I think back to Carmelo Anthony in 2018. Uh, you know, when the Houston Rockets cut him after 10 games, and then he couldn't find a job for a year. Um, you know that. What happens is that everybody assumes that NBA teams all talk to each other and they all know what's going on with each other, and they don't, really. So, you know, Carmelo Anthony got cut, and a lot of teams looked at that and said, uh, you know, well, he just can't play anymore. Uh, you know, Houston showed. You know, I mean, Houston cut him. If, if, if he was doing something wrong with Houston, uh, then, and then, you know, there's no question that, that this guy just can't play anymore. And then he came back, and he, he played well enough in Portland and well enough in Los Angeles. He wasn't the old Carmelo Anthony, but he could still play in the NBA. And I think that happens with guys, and I think that's happened with Schroeder, is that, you know, 
the the first the Lakers, all the all the stuff that happened with the Lakers and his contract there. Uh, and then you follow that up with the Celtics and he plays for a few months there and they trade him to Houston uh, and 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 he kind of dies on the vine in Houston. Uh, you know, that 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 all adds up for other teams to look at that and say, OK, this guy can't play anymore when. He can still play. I mean, come on. He can still contribute. He can still come off a bench uh, and contribute for an NBA team. There's no question in my mind. I just think that uh, that that sometimes you know the reputation gets hung on a player, uh, you know, more heavily than it does on other players. I don't know why it happens. It just seems like it happens. Do you not think that some of his play, as just as a general like observation, do you not think some of his play is limiting? to his teammates around. I, well, I think, I think, all right. So I think certainly in Boston, I, I think part of what happened in Boston was he felt like I'm on a $6 million contract for one year. I got to prove myself. I got to go out there and I got to do, mm-hmm. uh, you know, way too much. Uh, and he tried to do too much and, and it just, it, it, it just never really fit. There were times, like you said, where he won them a game because he was, he was willing to take it over when nobody else was. Uh, and then there were times where he's trying to take over a game that he shouldn't have tried to take over. Uh, and I think part of that was because he was in the contract situation that he was and he wanted to prove himself and get paid the next year. Uh, and so that didn't work out. But if you look at the course of his career, uh, you know, obviously there's been personality problems, there's been uh, problems with fit and things like that. But, you know, at the same time, he, he, he's done well in other places. I mean, he was, uh, you know, runner-up six man of the year a couple of years ago uh, playing for Billy Donovan in Oklahoma City. So, I mean, you know, the guy, he, he can find a role. Uh, I think that that the problem is, though, that that he's sort of been hung with this reputation. He can't get rid of it. There's no reason yeah. that, that we're sitting here in the middle of September and Dennis Schroeder doesn't have a team. You know what I mean? Like, there's no reason that this guy doesn't have a team. So for me, like the reason he went, he was so successful in Oklahoma was because their bench unit didn't have the talent to not need somebody like Dennis Schroeder. You know what I'm saying? It was a very specific need for a ball dominant guard that was willing to go into that takeover mode and do what he needed to do to help keep that team level on points or try and put them ahead or get them back into a game. And that's a role that Dennis Schroeder is more than equipped to play because he's a very talented scoring guard. But when you're in a team that's more of a contending team, they need you to be more of a role player. That's where my concerns with him as like his mentality and his play style start to kind of come into things. And it's kind of like on a very smaller scale. It's kind of that Westbrook situation, except Schroeder can shoot. So it, it's very much like, hey, you need the ball in your hands to be successful. But if we're going to be bringing you off the bench alongside two all-stars that are also initiators, we don't really want that ball in your hands. Are you willing to accept that role? And it just feels like Schroeder isn't at that point in his career yet where the, the pennies dropped for him to be like, actually, this is how I can be an even better version of myself and help myself get a ring. But, but when I look back, when I look back at Schroeder, I mean, he played a lot of minutes with Westbrook in Oklahoma city. They played together a lot. They were a closing lineup. They closed games with, with, with Russell Westbrook. So, I mean, and, and, and they weren't a bad team. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I just, I, I find it hard to believe that, you know, that, that, that the reputation that he has has matched what he can actually do on the floor. He can still bring you something on the floor if you give the guy a chance. And it's shocking to me that, that, that he hasn't had a chance. See, he's going to give you buckets and he's going to give you assists. It's just like, um. so when the Celt- I do this thing, every time the Celtics sign or trade for a player, I go back and watch every possession on both sides of the floor from the previous season, just so I can get a feel for how that player is performing in the now type of things or as the closest to the now as I can physically get. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was kind of that season, like the, the video that I'd watched and I, I was very, I, I hyper focus on the role I'd envision them playing for Boston. And obviously I'm not always right there. There's areas where they play that I didn't, you know, nobody's perfect, but those areas were like pick and roll. And I was like, he never passes to the big man. But when you're, and then, you know, there was other things like running the track, the fast break. Does he, when he's off board, does he try and run to the three point corner or does he want to pressure the rim? Like just, and he's a great player. He's just, in my opinion, he's not a great team player. I think he just has a hard time being able to adapt and understand his role wherever he's at. Right. I, I know that he kind of takes on that hero complex of, I got to 
do and be everything. But when you're not the guy who needs to do and be everything, where do you fit in on that team? And I think that he has a hard time recognizing what his role is. If it's not, you're the number one guy, go make something happen. Yeah. And I think that as a person, he's a skateboarder. I love people that skateboard. Like, I grew up skateboarding. Like, <laughs> like I, I've got an affinity towards him as a person because I'm like, yo, I want to see you shred on a board, dude. Like that. I, I'm into that. Look, let's do that. But as a basketball player, there's like, if I was part of a rebuilding team or if I was part of a team that had all the young pieces around me with one star that was just looking for somebody to give me that punch off the bench that could be the difference between me missing out on the playoffs to making the plane or being a low seed into the playoffs. Dennis Schroeder is a guy I'd be very happy to acquire because he'd give you everything you needed. But as a team like Boston, where it's like, we need that guy off the bench that's going to come in, play within the system, give us some of this, some of that, some of the other. Dennis Schroeder's not that guy. And I think there's enough teams out there that are still rebuilding or are still a few pieces away that Dennis Schroeder makes sense on. But every team at the minute, when you think of rebuilding teams, there's not as many as there were a few years ago. No. no. Well, speaking of rebuilding teams, Danny Ainge has left the Celtics. We saw him pop up in Utah where he's just tearing everything down. Everything's gone. Um, a lot of people are comparing it to the 2013 Celtics when he traded away Pierce and Garnett. How do you guys feel like he's doing? You know, I think I, I think the comparison to 2013 is kind of like the easy thing that a lot of people uh, are going to look at. Um, but that was a pretty that, that wound up being a unique situation because you made these trades, you made the pick swaps. And you had the, uh, the the actual picks coming back to Boston uh, that were, um, you know, at the time they didn't necessarily look good, uh, but they looked great in retrospect because Brooklyn was terrible. Like they they did not live up to what they were supposed to be, and they very shortly after the Celtics uh, rebuilt in 2013, Brooklyn was rebuilding. So that, that bolstered, uh, uh, you know, the value of, uh, of the Jason Tatum pick, the Jalen Brown, you know, all those things. Uh, that's not necessarily going to be the case this time around. When you look at Cleveland, uh, you know, who, who Danny Ainge just made deals with uh, uh, in terms of the, uh, uh, the Donovan Mitchell trade. Uh, and of course, the, the, the Rudy Gobert trade, uh, you know, Minnesota might be good for a while. And those picks that, that, that they've got, now they've got 10 picks. That's pretty good. Uh, but at the same time, so those, you know, we don't know how long uh, Cleveland's going to be good. We don't know how long Utah is going to be good. If they're good for the next five, six years, then those picks aren't going to really matter. They're going to be 20, 23, 28, you know, they're going to be in that range. Uh, and that won't be so. So, I mean, you know, I, there's been this whole focus on, uh, on on the number of picks that Danny Ainge has brought in and comparing it to 2013, but it's not going to matter if if Cleveland and Minnesota are good over the next four or five years, which I think they will be. I think that it always comes down to when it comes to draft picks, they're always more valuable until it comes to use them. Yes. So everybody, you can sell somebody on a dream. So what you can do when you've got this many picks is you can start packaging them together on a draft night to try and move up in a draft and get a better pick that way rather than hoping that one of the, one or two of them convey. Cause you can be like, Hey, they're good now, but you never know what's going to happen. Someone could opt out. Anthony Edwards could decide he wants to go play somewhere warm or somewhere named Boston. I wish. Um, and then all of a sudden things change. So while they've got value, while they might not have value as a draft pick themselves, they do have value as in selling somebody a dream, selling somebody. Like, and you just have to know that Danny Ainge is that type of salesman. The downside is everybody expects to get fleeced when they're dealing with Danny Ainge. So he's always operating from a position of distrust, and that might go against him if he's trying to move up in the draft process. Yeah, and that I, that's not necessarily his his fault, right? I mean, uh, you know, it's it's it, because, like I said, it's just that's more a Billy King thing. You know, Billy King was the guy he made the deal with with Brooklyn, uh, and and you know, it was a terrible deal from Brooklyn's end. Uh, but that's that's on Billy King. That's not on Danny Ainge. If you're not a moron, then don't make a trade with Danny. I mean, to, then go ahead and make a trade with Danny Ainge. You'll be fine. You know, I mean, if you're if you're making a good trade with Danny Ainge. Then, then you're not going. You're not going to get fleeced. There are plenty of teams that have done that, uh, and you know, I mean, like the when they traded Ray Allen to to Seattle, uh, uh, when they got Ray Allen from Seattle, I mean, they traded back 
uh, you know, the number four pick, which wound up being Jeff Green. And, and you know, you can argue whether that was a good pick for, for Seattle, but they got the number four pick. You know I mean? That's a pretty good deal. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that he, I'm not saying the narrative's true. No, right, right. No, I know. But like, yeah, for me, it's like the draft picks, as you say, there's no, like, I think Cleveland are going to be quite good this year. All they did was get an upgraded version of Colin Sexton and they have the defensive infrastructure to hide Mitchell's defensive liabilities. And then you go to Minnesota, they've got the offense. Their biggest issue has been defense. Let's go and get a multi-time defensive player of the year, bang him in the middle of the floor. Logic says it should work. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen, but logic says that this was a good move. So when you're looking at those draft picks, I agree, they're not going to be as valuable as what Brooklyn's were. So you have to start doing the, hey, well, if we give you two or three of these, you never know what's going to happen, right? Yeah, right. And you know, we'll give you this year's pick too, so you're going to still draft a player. Just give us number one. <laughs> yeah, but you might you might you might get an RJ Hunter in there. That's my point. And that's oh. like people forget that that some of the picks that they got from uh from Brooklyn, you know, one of them at least was RJ Hunter. I was so high on James Young for a hot minute. Yeah, oh yeah, James Young. Yeah. James yeah. Young was so high on James uh, was definitely one of those picks. Yeah. I thought he was gonna be good and he was and Carson good. Edwards, I was obsessed with Carson Edwards for because I was like the, the reason his voice is so like ridiculously big is because <laughs> the dude explodes like 50 foot off the floor every time he takes a jump shot is like a boom. and then obviously it just didn't work out yeah uh, so you know you do have the you have the misses but if you can get one yeah. or two all-star guys those misses are forgiven because at the end of the day drafting is not a, a, a complete science uh, you know yeah. you see the draft heads on twitter every day all year round, talking about this guy's going to be my number one pick, and a year later he's playing in like I don't know <laughs> Eurobasket, like for some really low team in Poland that no one can pronounce. So it's like, the Shanghai know, Sharks, yeah, yeah. I mean, don't sleep on Jimmer, but yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, I think that if you can get one or two stars, but he's he's definitely playing a risky game because he's like, but he's done the best thing you can possibly do. He's got good young players back. Plus a bunch of draft assets. So now, if you if Lowry continues to be the Lowry that you saw in Cleveland, you you can package Lowry. And I'm not about Lowry marketing here. You can package Lowry marketing with those picks to go and get somebody better than him, and you just start doing that incremental improvement. Maddie, why are you laughing? I'm just laughing at how passionate you are about this. Keep going. I love basketball so much. We love that you love basketball. Um, are you guys ready to play a game? Let's do it. Not 2K. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to play B. Brad Stevens. B. Brad Stevens. All right. My All life right. Are you up for the challenge? I have I'm going to set you guys up. Little, I have to throw my hair a little tighter, I think. One sec. <laughs> Everybody get mentally prepared. I'm going to, oh, yeah. Here it is. I'm going <laughs> to set the scene, okay? You're looking at Utah's roster and you want to get in on your old boss's doing. What moves are you going to make? Sean, we'll start with you first. Oh, I get to go first. You get to I'm go probably first. gonna take the one that 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 uh, Adam would have taken, which is I'm trying to get Jared Vanderbilt. I'm trying to get uh, you know, a guy who not a great shooter, uh, but you know, is is just kind of a bruiser of a defensive power forward, makes four point three million dollars. You could take him into one of the TPEs. I doubt uh, you know, Utah would just do that. Uh, but don't forget, you've, you're dealing with Danny Ainge, and you've got two of his most recent draft picks right here on your uh, on your roster or or or, or on your uh, on your possible payroll sheet with uh, uh, with Yamadar again, as we talked about from from Israel. You could certainly offer uh, offer offer uh, uh, to include him in a deal. You could offer Pey- Peyton Pritchard as well. Uh, so you could offer one of those guys, both of those guys for Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, to me, if I'm if I'm Brad Stevens, that's what I'm going to uh, uh, to bring to Danny Ainge because I would love to get my hands on Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, just a real uh, impressive young defensive uh, power forward. I really like Vanderbilt. What happened to the glasses? I took them off. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really like Vanderbilt, and uh, I, not only because. That was one of the first NCAA teams I ever heard of. So I, I have an affinity there. But I just think he's a solid, solid all-around guy. But I do think that he's going to be one of the harder guys to prize away for that specific reason. Yeah, right? he's 23. Yeah. 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 Now, if I was going for a forward, 
which I think the Celtics need. And I'm looking at what they've got, who they've bought in, what's available. I would be inclined to go over to Danny Ainge and be like, Danny, you know how you've always said that you loved Marcus Smart and every rebuilding team needs a guy like Marcus Smart? Well, we're not going to give you Marcus Smart because that would be really good. <laughs> but we'll give you the next best thing. We'll give you a Derek White. And we'll give you a couple of draft picks for your trouble. And in return, you give us Larry Markkinen because he was a throw-in in that trade to make the money work, essentially, so you could get Colin Sexton because, you know, there's belief out there that when given the opportunity, Sexton can give you 60 to 75% of what Donovan Mitchell can. How about it? We'll give you a defensive presence next to Colin who can play the ball, make smart decisions, play defense with a similar mentality to Marcus without the outspokenness and the punchiness. And in return, you give us Larry Markin and we'll give you a couple of draft picks on top. That would be my first phone call, like right mm. now. I agree. 43 with points, that. 43 points for Markin in his last Eurobasket game. 43 points. So, uh, you know, to bring it back to Eurobasket, man, that was, uh, you know, if you're Danny Ainge, you're looking at that and like, all right, who's, who, who wants Lowry? Come on, bring on, bring on the offers because you know, 43 points in the Eurobasket. That, that was pretty impressive. Derek White plus picks, the money works. Now, obviously, the downside is Derek White's not a young guy. There's no upside there. And the no, picks right. are not going to be good because the Celtics are going to be good. Yeah. So it's going to be hard to come. We're also running out of picks. We're running out of picks to, to trade. <laughs> yeah, but Brad Stevens, I've said this. I think I've said this on this show as well. Brad Stevens yeah. spent years as a coach watching everybody be like, Danny Ainge can't draft. So Brad is like, well, I'm just not going to draft. <laughs> and then no one can say a damn thing to me. And then I'll just pick up some guys as second rounders. And if one of them pops, I'm a god. And if one of them doesn't, why do we second rounders? No one cares. So, like, so yeah, Derek White would be that guy just to make the money work. The only downside is, again, it's going to be really hard to convince Danny Ainge to do it. But at the same time, if maybe he likes Pritchard. I mean, he drafted Pritchard, spoke very highly of Pritchard. Can you use Pritchard as a throw-in? You have enough depth at the guard position to do so. And that could be a guy like Danny Ainge was very high on Peyton Pritchard as just a pace setter, a winning mentality type guy that had limitless range. And if you go there, but then do you really want to acquire another two guards in the deal? Like it, it gets weird. But if I can get Larry Mark and I was like, Danny, do me a solid, bro. You don't need all this. <laughs> do me a solid, bro. Yeah, just do, do it for me, bro. Sure, that's exactly how Brad's going to sound, too. That's how I'd sound. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up the show for us today. Please follow us on YouTube, subscribe, follow us wherever you get your podcasts, rate, review, and um, share with a friend. You know, be a be a fun person. Share the love. 